0: As of last Thursday, California prison officials said that as many as 17,600 California inmates may be released early due to the coronavirus, which is 70% more than previously estimated. I wonder what it will be next month. But, uh, you know, we're not the only ones doing that. Indonesia has released 12% of their prison population, which, if that was us, that would be like us turning out about 300,000 inmates here in the States. Some shocking things have happened as a result of that trend. While such decisions have angered some people, others feel it's not nearly enough. For example, Human Rights Watch recently wrote this on their website, prisoner releases have been too few and too slow. Now their perspective is that there are many people in prisons worldwide who have been wrongfully accused and held without trial or are subject to inhumane conditions like overcrowding and torture. To be sure, the issue is complicated. There are a lot of people being held in prisons around the world who shouldn't be there, and there are a lot of people who are there because of things that they've done. Now take a moment and imagine yourself in one of those jails. You can pick uh, a United States jail if you want, you can pick an overseas jail if you want. Pick your poison. You can pick Pelican Bay if you'd like, or Lurigancho in Lima, Peru. Imagine you're there, and let's say you're guilty of some terrible crime, okay? But then one evening, the guards come jangling by with their keys and they say, they're letting you out, COVID, free to go. Just like that. But you reply, that's okay, I'll stay here. Just gonna hang out. Or imagine, let's flip it around. You've been framed for a crime. You've been set up. It wasn't you. And now you've got a free ticket out. The same thing happens. Hey, we're, we're turning you loose. You're all clear. I think I'll just hang out if you don't mind. I'll stay the night. We'll see how it looks in the light of morning. And not only you say that, but everyone in the whole prison says it. I think we'd need to send a sample of the tap water down to the lab to see what's going on, right? We can't even fathom such a thing. In fact, I haven't read any stories about any of the inmates who've been released due to COVID saying, no, 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 I'm going to stay in and serve my time. We've got a scene like this before us tonight. In a dreadful first-century prison, we find Paul and Silas crumpled in barbaric stocks, their backs still bleeding from a ruthless scourging that they'd endured. Through an amazing series of events, they and all the prisoners will be miraculously busted out of their cells and their chains, and yet they all stay right where they were. After that, Paul and Silas will be brought out of their dungeon into a home, have a meal and some medical care given to them, and then of their own free will, they're going to go back to their cell And then, having received an official notice of release after that for the third time, they're going to say, no, we'll stay for now. What's going on here? This isn't the only strange thing that happens in this text. In fact, the more we look at it, the more it seems like some sort of bizarro world where earthquakes assist rather than destroy, where jailers ask prisoners for life advice, and city magistrates are at the mercy of people who had been their helpless victims just a few hours before. They say you can't fight City Hall, and in this case, the believers didn't, but God did. And when God fights, at least in this dispensation, He doesn't do so with a take-no-prisoners mentality. No, He's more than happy to rescue His enemies along the way and give them quarter and even add them to His ranks and family. There is a time coming, and it's the second coming of Jesus Christ, where that'll be it. Take no prisoners. No prisoners at the Battle of Armageddon, only the judged, only the defeated. But for now, when God fights for us, he rescues as he goes. We put in at verse 25, and we read, at about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. In our last study, we talked about just how brutally these men had been treated and beaten. Their personal physician, Dr. Luke, who's writing had diagnosed it as severe, and we take him at his word. Their wounds had not been tended or cleaned, meaning they were still open and bleeding while they were fastened into agonizing stocks and left to their physical misery in the inner prison of this Philippian jail. But here they are in one of the most famous and picturesque scenes in all the New Testament singing songs in the night. And that is, of course, a special promise that God has given to His people, by the way. Uh, In the book of Job, we're told that God gives His people songs in the night in oppression, in suffering, in hardship, in strain. God has a song for you. He has a song for me, a melody to bring us hope and peace. Music is sometimes uh, written off as frivolous in some ways, but remember, music is a one of the great creations of God, right? One of the most beautiful things that God has given to the universe. And it's not just for entertainment, or it's not just for amusement or frivolity, but… God cares about music in our personal lives and in our spiritual lives, and He sings over us, and He wants to hear us sing back to Him, and He gives us songs. He gives us melodies, real things to sing. Why midnight? Well, I like to think that God was making a point. You see, the devil had mounted an offensive back uh, the day before at the hour of prayer, right? He, He came to their turf, and he sent his agent to infiltrate the meeting of the Christians that day. It had led to this prison scene, and I'm sure that Satan was quite proud of himself that evening. There the apostles were in his world, the dark of night, the hopeless pit. What could they do? They're trapped and done and defeated. But then God answered back. He went into the dark of night. He went into the dark of that prison, and he would make everything right, everything all together. It may be midnight, but that only meant that a new day had arrived full of God's mercy and full of God's power. And what the devil, I'm sure, had counted as a win that day was about to become an, an astonishing harvest for the kingdom of light. We're told here that the prisoners, the other prisoners, were listening to them. The term used is for real attention. I mean, they were, wait, they were really listening. They were really hearing. They, they were paying attention to what was being sung and said. They didn't just hear the tones. They listened intently to what was being sung about, what was being prayed. What were they singing and praying about? We're only left to speculate, but it's not a stretch to assume that, first of all, word had spread about why these guys were here and what had happened. Word spreads, Uh, and we've seen so many times before in the first century, you know, word spread really fast, town to town, place to place. And when we think about the events that had happened before they were brought into the prison, it was pretty remarkable. Things like a riot, things like a a supernatural exorcism, you know, this Python girl, all this stuff that we had been uh, reading about last time, word would have spread quickly. Uh, And through the guards, cell to cell, and what's up with these guys? They would have dragged them in, probably not even under their own power. They had been beaten so badly. Hey, who, who are the new guys? Well, here's where they you are. Know, they're these Jews that are talking about some Messiah, but they were down there. And, and you know that one girl that everybody pays to have their fortunes read? Yeah, she, they, they made her right. They fixed her. We don't know what they did, but man, or, man or her owners hollering mad. And so uh, we fixed them up real good, though. We, we beat them and, and we gave them as many lashes as we wanted, and, and here they are. And so word would have spread quickly. And it's not a stretch to think that Paul and Silas were praying for things like that young girl who had been set free from a demon, praying for the wicked men who had enslaved her, praying for the group of Christians there in the city, praying for their own deliverance, of course. And I'm sure they were singing great things about a man named Jesus who lived and died and rose again, how He is a God who never leaves us or forsakes us. There was a lot to listen to on that unusual night. Verse 26 says, Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the jail were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's chains came loose. This was quite a quake, not like the little ones we get here from time to time that swirl the pool up a little bit. Uh, From top to bottom, this prison was shaken. But we see that this really was a magnificent miracle as far as miracles go. This was a precision airstrike from heaven, accomplishing very specific goals— open the doors, loose everyone's chains, it was strong enough to have its effect all the way down into the inner dungeon, but at the same time, all the walls stayed up. No casualties, nobody hurt, nobody maimed, no, you know, big blocks came down on anybody. This building wasn't made of reinforced concrete, right? Uh, it wasn't on rollers like the modern skyscrapers in San Francisco. Have you ever seen footage of some of those skyscrapers that start pitching during an earthquake, and, you know, it keeps it from coming down, but that's some scary stuff. No, this earthquake was only beneficial, at least as far as the prisoners were concerned. Sadly, there are some Christian commentators who are very quick to say that this wasn't a miracle at all, just a coincidence. They say that security was so primitive back then, of course, the doors came open, and they say that the other inmates stayed in their cells that night, not because of the work of God in their hearts, but because they were too afraid to run or that they didn't realize their shackles came off. What? (laughs) I don't get it. Why not marvel at the power of God? Why not see that He was working out yet another grand purpose of deliverance and grace? Whoever heard of an earthquake like this? A precision earthquake that only unlocks doors but doesn't knock them down, Uh, that only takes chains off, it doesn't break any bones, that opens up doors but not ceilings and not floors and those sorts of things. Verse 27, when the jailer woke up and saw the doors of the prison standing open, he drew his sword and was going to kill himself since he thought the prisoners had escaped. Most of you know that in that era, a jailer who allowed a prisoner to escape would have to take that prisoner's place and suffer the consequences he had been sentenced to. We have no idea how many people were in the prison that night, but one thing is clear, this jailer's done. It's over. He's just, he's done. He woke up to a terrible reality that night. He was in a completely hopeless and desperate position, and he knew it. The natural solution was for him to end his own life. That would be preferable to whatever the government would do to him. And the Greek and Roman cultures were much more amenable uh, to suicide. Um, Some of the commentators point out rightfully that one of the great things that Christianity has done for the world is instill in cultures and instill in communities an understanding of the value of life, that your life is valuable, and that your life has not only, you know, some sort of earthly value, but that it is eternally, inestimably valuable and that you shouldn't just um, take your life or shouldn't treat it cheaply. Sadly, suicide is becoming more commonplace in our culture. It is the 10th leading cause of death right now, according to the CDC. It's risen over 35% in the last 20 years, and that was before Uh, COVID and the pandemic and everything. In the wake of all that's happened, many health officials are sounding the alarm and they're concerned of a skyrocket in those numbers, and so we need to be watchful and praying and reaching out to people and showing care and making ourselves available to those who are struggling. Before we move on, let me say this first, that if someone you know and love has ended their own life, I'm sure there's lots of us in the room who have been touched by suicide in that way. Um, There is hope. That is not the unpardonable sin that is sometimes depicted in pop culture, right? Uh, Don't lose hope over that. And second, if you, for whatever reason, find yourself considering suicide or thoughts like that, we plead with you to refuse that impulse and and reach out for help. Um, We know it can be hard to do that, but your life is of, of limitless value. And God loves you, and we love you, and we want to help, and uh, maybe we don't know everything that's going on in your life, but we know a God who does know everything that's going on in your life. And so uh, reach out for help, and no matter what's going on, no matter what you've done, no matter what you're facing, God already knows, and He loves you, and He has sent help. And part of that help are the Christians around you. We are part of the help that God has sent. And just as we'll see Paul here intervene to save this jailer's life, we want to intervene for anyone uh, listening to this who might feel like they can't go on. Your situation may look as desperate and hopeless as the jailer's here, but this story proves that in Christ there is always a new day and there is life and hope uh, if we will turn to the Lord. Now, let's see what Paul did in verse 28. Paul called out in a loud voice, don't harm yourself because we're all here. Paul must have received what is called in the Bible a word of knowledge here. He's in the inner pit of the jail. He can't see what's going on. In a minute, we're going to see that they have to call for lights just so that the jailer can see them, right? And so apparently God not only revealed to Paul what the jailer was about to do, but also why he was about to do it and that all the other cells were still occupied. I don't think there was enough time here for Paul to take a head count. He wouldn't have known how many people were supposed to be there anyway but we're all here. What must have been in those songs they were singing that, that would lead to all of these individuals, some of them probably wrongfully accused, some of them probably hardened criminals, and they stayed, they stayed put right where they were. Uh, we don't get a lot of insight into what they were thinking or, or, or the pro- how all that process went, but you know, from the way that it's read and, and the way that Luke says, hey, they were paying attention to what they were singing and praying about. The impression that he leaves us with is that all of the other guys in this cell had a free ticket out into uh, Liberty and, and into, you know, the outside. And they said, well, we want to stay where these guys are. Uh, we want to hang out with these, these two dudes who, who got dragged in here and were... Bruised and bleeding and suffering way more than I am. What must have been in those songs? Surely there were men in that prison who were facing execution. They were facing starvation, disease, torture, but there they stayed. This simple fact reminds us of a great many truths when it comes to Christianity. First, it's that God can bring transformation to the hardest of hearts before tonight is even over. And that person on your mind, that person in your life, that person who's so frustrating to us, and we think, man, That is a bad person, whether it's someone on the world stage or someone in your own sort of community or your own family. God can transform their hearts before the night is over. What a great comfort that is. Second, this shows us that even the simplest presentation of the gospel of Jesus Christ is enough to change a person if they will by faith believe. And third, I think this is important. We learn here that praying and singing matters, You know, Luke doesn't say that they they preached a sermon, as important as that is and as often as, as Paul and Silas and the other guys did do that. That night they were just singing and praying, and we see that it had power. Praying and singing matters. They're not just time fillers. They are powerful activities. When we pray together as God's people, when we sing together as God's people, these are mighty actions according to the Bible and according to history. And so let's make it a point to fill our singing with great songs. Let's deepen our prayer lives to not be rote or repetitive, but rich and full and growing and fruitful and and invite the Lord to fill our hearts and fill our lips with the kind of content uh, that changes lives. Now, which songs people enjoy singing are obviously, that's obviously a subjective thing on some level. That's fine. But as a church and as singing Christians, We want to be singing the kinds of songs that keep men in their cells, believe it or not, Uh, songs that speak the truth about Christ and His cross and His rule over our lives, about our bankruptcy before Him, but His generosity toward us, that He is Lord of all. We don't want to just sing songs that are easy or make us feel warm and fuzzy but songs that proclaim the greatness of our God and tell the story of what He's doing in this world. And so, you know, we try hard here at Calvary to have uh, to be singing uh, lots of songs, new songs, old songs, but songs that matter and songs that contain uh, biblical truth and uh, wonderful, rich images about who God is and what He's done. And so uh, we just want to be working on that because singing matters, praying matters. Now, it's very interesting, this isn't the first jailbreak we've seen in Acts. In chapter 12, we remember Peter, when he was getting busted out of jail, it all worked out a little differently. He had been hurried out by the angel, right? He kept telling him, hurry up, hurry up, hurry up. And it was all very hush-hush. No one saw what was going on. No one heard what was going on. He kind of got swept out supernaturally. But here, Paul and Silas are just waiting around. Well, didn't God want them to go? Apparently not. They didn't leave. Uh, So what's the difference? Well, we know it's because God was accomplishing a whole bunch of things on the way out. Now, God was getting him out of jail, but on the way out, he's going to take his time to do so because he needed to accomplish. He wanted to accomplish this and this and this and this and this. But for the guys themselves that night, the difference is simply in the leading of the Holy Spirit, right? Apparently, the Holy Spirit told them to hold, and they were in tune with him, and they were willing to obey. Verse 29 says, The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell down, trembling before Paul and Silas. He escorted them out, and he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Finding out that all of the prisoners were still locked up, or at least still in their cells, we see that the jailer felt no relief. He wasn't, you know, there's no sigh of, oh, thank goodness. Uh, No, he was terrified. He's trembling. He is freaked out. And he realized in that moment That he needed to be rescued, right? He says, I I need to be saved. We don't know how much he had heard that night or what what else was going on. Again, we're not given sort of insight into his thoughts, but in that moment when, you know, the average Roman jailer would have good reason to be thankful and very relieved, he's not relieved at all. He, He needs rescue. He knows something very great was going on, and that's why he called them sirs. It's a term that you use for a person of supreme authority. He realized, you know what, these, these guys right here, they're the ones in charge, or at least they know the person that's in charge. Uh, I, I need to talk to these guys because I'm in some real trouble here. We talk about collateral damage when a mission is being accomplished. God turns that upside down. In this jailbreak, there's a bunch of collateral deliverance. Prisoners transformed, jailer's life saved, his family's going to be saved, the church is going to be protected. What a gracious God we serve! That God said, "You know what I'm going to do tonight. I'm going to bust out Paul and Silas, and there's going to be some collateral deliverance as we go." Verse 31. They said, "Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household." That's it. That's the deal. Could it really be that simple? It was and it is. Sometimes it's hard for us to not get in the way, right? Especially if we're having a a sort of spiritual conversation with someone we really know and what we know is going on in their lives and the things that they're, you know, doing that are wrong or that are destructive. We know about those things that are trapping them or ruining them. We know about the old arguments they've brought up, maybe. And then when they ask us, you know, about spiritual things, we might have the tendency to think, okay, now's my chance to give them a big old list and, and tell them all the ways that they, you know, can make their life better or holier or whatever. But if we're talking about salvation, don't stand in the way. Get out of the way, get out of the way, get out of the way. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Paul didn't say... Well, listen, I mean, you're going to need to be less mean to your prisoners. And then there's this book that you're going to have to get into. And, you know, Christians take Sunday nights off because that's when they go to church here in Rome. He doesn't do any of that. Right. It's the power of God in a regenerated heart that accomplishes good anyway. Right. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. Right, And so when people come and talk to us about spiritual things who aren't Christians, we see the potential and we get all excited. and We think, ooh, you know, I know how to turn this person's life around. And in a sense, we do know the answer to how their life can be turned around, but you and I are not the ones that turn their lives around. Them changing their behaviors are not the way that they turn their life around. It's the regeneration of their heart that turns their life around. And we're gonna see that demonstrated really clearly uh, with this jailer here. There was an immense amount of work to be done in this man's heart and life, to be sure. But it's God who does the work. So what must you do to be saved? Believe. And if anyone else does the same, they'll be saved too. That's what Paul says, and that's what we should say to others. Verse 32, and they spoke the word of the Lord to him along with everyone in his house. Of course, there's always more for us to learn about the word of God, but the primary message of the gospel can be said in just a few short words. can be delivered in a breath. Uh, the truth of Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ is God who came in the flesh, and He lived and died and rose again, and that if you will believe on Him, you will be saved, right? If you believe in your heart and confess with your lips that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. The message is simple because it's just the message of God making peace with His enemies, enemies who are totally undeserving of help or forgiveness, and yet He has made a way, That's a message worth getting your family out of bed for, which is what that guy did that night. Verse 33, he took them that same hour of the night and washed their wounds. Right away, he and all his family were baptized. So here we see God is already doing a dramatic reversal, a dramatic work in this man's heart. He's transforming him. He's changing his behavior, and it happened in a few minutes. Paul didn't have to tell him, you need to start treating people better. The Lord he became born again, and the Lord did that work in his heart, right? This same man a few hours ago mercilessly refused to clean their open wounds or let their personal doctor tend to them. And now the Holy Spirit has revealed to him that he should be the one to make that right. He should be the one to show kindness to them. That he should be the one to get a, you know, a, a towel and water and go and wash those wounds yourself. We never need to worry about whether God is able to lead people to make changes in their lives. Of course he is. And when we try to force changes from the outside, well, then it's more of a costume, right, than it is a piece of fruit that grew on a branch. And so we need to tell people to turn to the Lord, to believe, to repent of their sin, of course, but then to be led by the Holy Spirit, because God knows how to transform a life. I love how we see here that He served them, and they served Him. He washed them, they baptized Him and His family. We see here there's an instant affection, an instant fraternity, an instant cooperation, no leftover resentment or bitterness or grudges, no scores to settle, nothing like that. Just tender kindness and selflessness on both sides. The truth is the jailer's refusal earlier that day to get them medical care had probably changed Paul and Silas' lives. Uh, maybe not. But I was doing some research on what happens when you leave severe wounds like this open for 6, 12, 18 hours. These are serious lacerations that they, you know, uh, had endured. Open wounds. And now they're in some dank, disgusting, you know, 10th world prison right, uh, in their own filth and in the filth of… They're not mopping out the dungeon, right? And, and nothing had… They hadn't been cared for. They hadn't been fed. They hadn't been given any help or anything like that. These are serious wounds, and this jailer's earlier callousness was going to result at least in scars that they would carry forever, maybe dangerous infection. But, you know, through the night, the apostles made no demands, of course, they would have still been in pain, still had been without food and rest at this point, and yet they're still putting this man and his family first. Sure, let's, let's go get baptized. We gotta walk down to the river to do that, or do you have a pool, or what are we gonna do? Uh, that's great compassion and great humility on their part. Verse 34, he brought them into his house and set a meal before them and rejoiced because he had come to believe in God with his entire household. Pretty unusual meal, Right? So your dad wakes you up or your husband wakes you up and it's one in the morning and he's talking about an earthquake. And by the way, I brought some prisoners (laughs) to the house. Uh, What? Yeah, those guys, they're bleeding all over the couch. I'm really sorry, we'll take care of that. Ooh, we should take care of that. Hey, do we have anything to take care of people bleeding? Yeah, okay. And so now they're having this meal, and I'm sure Paul explained his own story of coming to Christ, which, you know, we've been through so many dramatic stories already in the book of Acts, we forget one of the most dramatic of all, Paul becoming a Christian. And he said, yeah, let me, let me tell you about when I met Jesus. And uh, I was on my way to murder a bunch of Christians, and then uh, I met Jesus, and then I went blind, and then I wasn't blind anymore because uh, a Christian came and laid his hands on me and called me his brother and, and did that work. And so... He would have explained his own story. They would have had to quickly tell the story of Jesus. We all know who Jesus is. We've all heard of Jesus. This jailer hadn't heard of Jesus. Who was he? Where did he come from? Why did he come? And they're all wolfing down some food right there in the dim light of daybreak. Interesting meal. We see the jailers rejoicing, how his heart had been filled with compassion, how he had been become a man of integrity and rightness all in just such a short amount of time. And what a good thing that Philippi now had a Christian jailer, right? What an amazing post for a believer in that city. Still today, of course, prisons are hard places, places with a lot of difficulty and suffering, filled with hard people who need the light of the gospel, but prisons are a field ripe for harvest. And so thank God he sends faithful servants into those prisons to be light there. Verse 35, when daylight came, the chief magistrates sent the police to say, release those men. We aren't sure whether they knew about the earthquake or anything that had happened that night. I tend to think not. They seem pretty casual here to me. Once the rage of the riot yesterday had worn off, their case against the missionaries looked pretty thin. They really didn't do anything. So they send the police, and the, and the term used according to scholars is the rod bearers, the guys that did the lashing the day before. go send those guys And they'll quake in their boots a little bit and tell them they can go, but tell them they need to go. You know, they want to run these guys out. And so the very men that had savaged them the day before show up to kick them down the road. But here's what we find in verse 36. The jailer reported these words to Paul, the magistrates have sent orders for you to be released. Come out now and go in peace. So first of all, it seems like Paul and Silas went back to the prison. Now, it's possible they were staying in the house or the apartment of the jailer, but I'm guessing they would have gone back. In order to not cause potentially lethal trouble for the jailer, right? If, if these guys show up and those guys aren't there, that is a real, real, real deadly problem for the jailer. And so the way that it reads, the way that it flows, and in the context, it makes very much sense. In a minute, they're going to say, hey, have them come and release us. Them, So they're going to process us out themselves. So they had their meal, they got their wound, they did all that, the baptism stuff, and stuff. They said, well, Back to prison? Okay, let's go. And they go back to prison. I don't know if they got a different cell or if they were still in the inner dungeon, but amazing. Back with the rats, back with the pools of blood they had left the night before. Was that your puddle or is that my puddle? I think that's my puddle. Okay, I was sitting here. Very good. Okay, let's hang out and see what happens. For his part, the jailers excited. God had delivered his servants and they were free to go. Verse 37, Paul said to them, You know, they beat us in public without a trial, although we are Roman citizens, and threw us in jail, and now they're going to send us away secretly? Certainly not. On the contrary, let them come themselves and escort us out. Man, this is like a classic Shyamalan moment. Uh, If you, you know, were an M. Night Shyamalan fan, nobody saw this coming. This is like a what? A whoa, like everybody's probably freaking out. <laughs> Remember how they had talked about those Jews, these Jews that are here in this city ruining everything in our city? How the people of Philippi acted like they were so concerned about the customs and laws of Rome. But it's bizarre world. Claiming they cared about the customs and laws of Rome, they broke a bunch of customs and laws of Rome to attack these hated Jews, but these Jews were actually Romans. Everything's upside down. Now, Paul's not being vindictive or spiteful. If all of this was just swept under the rug, it would have meant a lot of difficulties and confusion and suspicion for the young Christians in the city. Plus, Paul was never one to miss an opportunity to confront people with their need for salvation and rescue. And I think he's taking such an opportunity here. Tell those guilty men who committed some heinous crimes against uh, citizens of Rome to come and talk to us. Verse 38. the the police reported these words to the magistrates. They were afraid when they heard that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens, so they came to appease them and escorted them from the prison. They urged them to leave town." It's interesting to contrast these officials with the jailer. They each had their own hopelessness revealed to them, right? They were each guilty of a very serious offense. Whether it was inside or outside of their control doesn't matter. They were guilty you know, the jailer, hey, you're guilty of all your prisoners are, are you know, going to be on the lamb. These guys are guilty of these crimes that they had committed. One of them fell to his knees and surrendered at the cross of Christ. The other said, get out of here as fast as you can. We want to see you. We want to think about this. We want to put this all behind us. It's the same that happened to Jesus when he was on the earth. It's the same that's going to happen to us as we spread the gospel. Some will be like the jailer who begged for rescue. Others are going to be like the magistrates who begged us to get lost. That's just how it goes. Verse 40, after leaving the jail, they came to Lydia's house where they saw and encouraged the brothers and sisters and departed. Paul and company would go on their own schedule. Thank you very much. They were going to go and hang out at the house for a little bit. What a story they had for their friends in the new church there in Greece. Remember uh, Timothy and Luke, they don't know what's going on, not allowed to hang out there at the prison. And so I'm sure they were praying all night probably for their friends. And then the new church there in Greece. On their way out, Paul and Silas's purpose was ministry. They didn't figure out how to get these magistrates fired or arrested. They didn't file any kind of lawsuit or anything like that. They didn't call hell down on them or anything. Instead, they brought joy and encouragement. That was their purpose. Uh, They told Lydia that they'd have a new family at church this week, the jailer and his wife and kids. And then others would come after that Others still after that as God continued his glorious rescue work in the city. God's still doing it today, not in half measures or fuzzy math, but with real transformative power. As agents of his grace and as ministers of the gospel, we don't want to settle for less. We don't want to stand in the way. We just want to go with God and be a part of his magnificent doings and recognize that we have some wonderful tools that he has given us to do Uh, incredible things for His glory. We have singing. We have praying. We have the Holy Spirit. We have the Word of God. We have a God who fights for us. We have a God who goes before us. We have a God who works out providence. We have a family of believers who support us, one with another. We have agape compassion that God installs in our hearts so that we can love even our enemies. It's just a very short surface of the list of things that God has given us. And so As we serve him, we want to serve him the way that these guys did, where their life and their behavior and their mentality wasn't determined by their circumstances, but simply by the truth of who God is and what he's done and what he said and what he's given and what he's called us to do. And he wants us to be a part of his magnificent doings, uh, not just in scary prisons, but in uh, regular old streets of Hanford. And what a good and gracious God he is for that.